Hello and welcome to Voice Notes, the new writing podcast. The podcast where each week we bring you an exciting new piece of writing right to your ears. Today on the programme, I am going to be talking with Maya Perdue about her lovely piece, Ordinary, which can be found on an early episode of the show, so check that out if you haven't already. And we'll be talking all things history and politics, it's really, really interesting, so stay tuned, get a nice cup of coffee or tea, even if it's decaf, find that comfy seat, you know the rest, enjoy. Now on with the podcast. And... I, I find that really, really interesting. Like we've always talked about Michael Collins because you're from Clonakilty, for example. People idealise the man and talk about his <laughs> death and talk about how tragic it was. Michael Collins died of his own doing. Michael Collins insisted they stop the car because he was blaring drunk and he was basically like, let me out, I want to fight them. Like, he wasn't this perfect being. The night out. Hello and welcome to Voice Notes, the new writing podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in today. Um, I'm Marcus Bateson and today I'm here to talk to the wonderful Maya Perdue who has featured work on the podcast early in the week. Um, her beautiful piece, Ordinary, um, which engages with small rituals, it engages with the, the changing of the seasons and it's a really, really, um, really, really nice piece. And so Maya is a Tipperary based writer. Um, she is currently pursuing her MA in performance and culture at Goldsmiths, although she wants to point out that she currently is not there. She's at home in Tipperary because of um, a particular pandemic. In her research, Maya focuses on interculturalism, Irish identity and post-colonialism. Her writing explores the themes of hope and belief. She has previously featured work with Macteria Theatre as well as at the Samuel Beckett Centre and with Seen and Heard Festival. So I'm very, very happy to um, introduce Maya Perdue and have a chat with you. Hello. Hi, how are you? I'm very good. I'm I'm quite bored today. I'm just like sitting at home and trying to like find ways to you know make life new. Um, <laughs> how how are you? You're used. To, you're you're at home, right? You're all. I am. You're, you're not in London. My younger brother's bedroom, which I've stolen as an office, um, because good. I came home in November so that I could do my two weeks before Christmas. So I came home at the very end of November. Mm. And then everything shut down and then there were no in-person classes. I'm actually flying to London on Friday to move out you? of my apartment there. And I've checked with three different organizations that is actually essential. But my lease is up, so like I need to move. Oh I'll yeah. Move on Friday and then I'll have my third in two weeks again, but it'll be fine. But yes, I'm here did in my bedroom. Did you leave all of your stuff over in I London? Left, I brought yeah. home what I thought I needed for like Christmas. Yeah. expecting to be back there on the 6th of January and here I am oh no uh, oh. over a month later but and... kind of I mean it's not the worst case scenario London wasn't fun um mm. I was not happy there I mean no one's happy anymore but <laughs> no, um, no one's uh, happiness is impossible at the moment but um, at least here I have like my parents okay know? so you think it was the right choice yeah it's interesting because I, I think um, a lot of people are returning to like their family homes at the mm. moment and like their childhood bedrooms and there's a certain like quality that Strange. comes to that. 
I never strange. lived in this house as a teenager. So my parents moved when I was in college. Okay, but yeah. I came back here and just like the family dynamics and being surrounded by things that were in my childhood bedroom, I'm like, at times I feel like I'm actually like a teenager, though that's kind of worn off now because I am studying from here and I'm probably going to be finishing my lessons from here. I'm hoping to move to Galway when it's possible. So I'll probably be doing my dissertation in Galway, but I'll be finishing classes from Tipperary. So that's interesting. But I'm in reading week at the minute. So I'll research at the minute. No, no classes this week. Do you think that um, your research and your academic side of work, do you think that's informed your creative practice? Um, I want it to. Yeah. Um, uh, as I was saying to you earlier, devising is how I like to work. And I think yeah. a lot of the research I'm doing is about equitable theatre making. And I think devising is one of the best ways to do that and to achieve that because you have multiple voices in the room and each voice is given the same amount of weight. And we've done devising projects together before. And it's right. very much, you just say what you think as a group and there's no judgment and there's very much a kind of open playing field. Like you sent us off to do research and we would come in with our own opinions and thoughts. And then as a group, we put it together. Mm -hmm. And I find that really interesting. And I've always loved devising. I did my first devising piece when I was in second year I believe and mm -hmm. I I just I adored it I like that way of working because so I'm COVID must have been really then tough because you've gone from a situation where you can be in a room with each other and bounce ideas off everyone and it's a sort of collaborative way of making mm. theatre and now we're all as we were saying like stuck in our individual bedrooms and isolated in that way so that must have been really tough for you particularly it was hard in that a big part of why I did this course is because I want my research to inform my practice and vice versa. And so I went into this year being like, I can try this out in London because mm -hmm. there's such a scene and there's slightly more open scene than in Dublin to mm -hmm. tap into. And there's a college environment where there's loads of students who are looking to make work. So I felt like, OK, this is great. I can get get involved with the drama society find some undergrads, be like, we're going to devise. And obviously that couldn't happen. And then I think the playwriting group that you formed has been really helpful for me because it's a familiar format because we did playwriting during our BA. And so we'd come in with work and we'd get feedback from the group. And a lot the people that are in that group were in that playwriting workshop all bar one. Yeah. And so we all were familiar with that way of working together and that way of just kind of being honest and saying if something doesn't work, and I think a lot of the time people are afraid to say that. Uh, Sarah Sullivan, who was on last week, I send everything I write to mm -hmm. her. Like whether it's, okay, I don't send her all my academic essays because that's a lot of reading. <laughs> Personal statements. She probably doesn't need I'm it. I'm like, yeah. is this making sense? I'll send yeah. it to Sarah and vice versa. We can give each other honest feedback. I think that's really useful. And that's what I had in that group that mm -hmm. we turn around and be like, no. Or yes, this is great, but this isn't working. And that's useful. It kind of, it didn't quite replace the collaboration of devising because like you're live and you're in the moment and yeah, an idea yeah. can occur and you can put it on its feet in minutes. But it did kind of fill that gap a little bit for me during COVID. Yeah, I feel yeah. that. I think it's, this has made me realize how important like 
having a sort of creative buddy is that kind of you were talking about with Sarah, that sort of buddy system where you can like share work with each other and get like honest feedback and it's someone that you trust. And I think that's something I'd really recommend for every writer. I don't know about you, just to find at least one person. Where and you also can... like leave your ego at the door. Not everything mm. you write is genius. Not everything you write is going to be good. Even this piece that like is platformed this week of mine, I right. still believe that if I got in a room with like five or six people to workshop it, it would end up better because of course, yeah, I don't think any one person is as good as multiple people in terms of getting feedback, in terms of seeing if something works. And so we were all so afraid of being bad. And with yeah. playmaking, we were terrified that we'd be awful. And I remember coming into rehearsals for things and being like, oh my God, I'm just, I, I need to pretend that I know what's happening. When the reality was like nobody knew what was happening. No, and, and also you you, back at it. most first drafts. I think you spoke about this a bit with Sarah, but I think most mm -hmm. first drafts are a bit shit. I mean, yeah. they're going to be messy. There's going to be things that aren't in the right place. Some bits are going to be overwritten. Some it's underwritten, and it's just. I think that's just part of the process. Um, and yeah, trying to embrace that failure, I think, is so important. Do you think that that theatre history, because you've mentioned it a couple of times, do you think like you're influenced by theatre history? Are you interested in like with your creative writing, with your writing? Do you, are you interested in kind of like engaging with the classics mm. and engaging with sort of like Aristotelian theories? Like I think so. Um, I say this having gone on another Google search to see how Maya the Greek god died earlier today. Um, oh, yeah, I forgot you were a god. <laughs> god yeah very chill about it you know don't like to boast but yeah I, am I, should put, should, I should have put that in your bio <laughs> no but um I do love I love history I've always loved history my father in particular big old history nerd so is my brother my mother's very into social history and Irish history and so it's it's been kind of in my upbringing as well that I've always had an obsession with the past and I find it very interesting because a lot of people idealize the past without knowing that much about it. I love that strange relationship. And we talked about this in that historicizing theater class I was talking about the strange mm -hmm. relationship Irish people in particular have with the past, where it's both yesterday and years ago. We still talk about the famine like it's recent. The kind of tension between past and present in Ireland, we have it still in our politics. And I just find it fascinating to think about. But again, it's something that I feel I couldn't write about it on my own because I have one opinion. I come from one background. Half my family are in Gale supporters. Like, <laughs> I feel I bring a very certain point of view and I'd want other points of view in the room if I'm exploring that. Because I think otherwise you don't have any nuance. You just have, this is my opinion. And I don't like that kind of theater. I don't enjoy okay. theater that's like, here's my opinion and here's why you're wrong in yours because I think nobody's going to be converted or nobody's going to think about an issue if that's what they're presented with. Uh, like, do you think politics has a place in theatre or in... Yeah, you know? I think it's a bit naive to say that it doesn't because, and this is such a cliched saying, but like the personal is political. And yeah. we exist in an era now where identity politics is incredibly prevalent, very much in discussion out among the public people are aware of this people are aware of social politics do you think then with your writing do you try and 
focus bringing it back a little bit to the piece that we heard this week Sorry, ordinary but no but no it's, computer, it's a really good tangent but no i'm just it sort of ties in because um i'm just thinking that the piece ordinary that is very much about small a, not a small life but small kind of routines and and it really focuses on the everyday yeah and i think i've seen a few times in your work that um you focus on kind of like very normal lives and and sort of normal rituals and and sort of you depict ordinary people and you sort of create something extraordinary it kind of has has a dare i say like a Seamus Heaney vibe to use my mother's english lecture um really yeah oh my god that's so interesting because that's exactly when i was reading this i was thinking kind of Seamus Heaney and that sort of because he used to love writing about just very ordinary ordinary things and nature and um like his dad digging potatoes is one of my favorite yeah and so do you think that there's something political about writing about the ordinary and do you think do you is is that something that you're interested in writing particularly about kind of I suppose yeah ordinary events and people rather than these kind of large political kind of I think so because I think for me a lot of the time the more effective thing is to focus on the micro yeah and the macro will come across by focusing on smaller events now this piece in particular was born of me being pissed off really Mm. and missing feeling motivated to go out and face the day where at the minute my my life is research and classes and I have the occasional zoom with my friends and boyfriend and that's it and I was kind of thinking about days when like I lived in Dublin and I'd be getting up at like 7am to go out and walk down to the bus and I'd see all the kids because I lived in close proximity to a school as you know yeah. and all the kids yeah, yeah, yeah. would be coming in to get to class on time and that kind of normality that we don't have anymore and I didn't want to write a piece that was about Covid because yes. I'm sick of hearing about it and so this is kind of born of me being like okay what do I have to look forward to because sometimes it feels like we don't have anything to look forward to and it's it's interesting because I think with stuff like this with my own writing I don't actually try to be political more so in a devising sense in devising I'm like okay here's an issue let's all talk about how we feel about it whereas with the writing I've been doing at the minute a lot of it's based in like me and my feelings i'm very in my feelings at the minute what i've noticed a lot is that a lot of pieces end up feeling like and reasonably so they feel like diary entries almost because mm. they do because i think that's always sort of feel like we're capable of writing right now it's like this is what i'm currently feeling and i haven't had the time mm. or the space to sort of unpack what that actually is i genuinely is. don't think i'd have it in me to write a dialogue right now no no and that's interesting yeah so because i suppose we are having to do like socially distanced writing and theatre do you think that there's going to be do you think that I suppose that lockdown and Covid is going to have a sort of longer term impact on the sort of theatre that we create do you think that monologues and and sort of like one person shows I feel and like, like they that? could become a more of a thing because yeah. we are being told we're have to, going to have to live with this mm-hmm. so a lot of people are very much caught up in what can I do that requires the least amount of people so that I might be able to keep doing it if thing, if this happens again. And I, I love a one person show, but 
they can be very difficult to get right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it would be interesting to see. I think, I think a lot of people will fall out of the arts because of this. Really? Okay. It's quite sad. So are you hopeful on, or pessimistic, do you think, about the sort of future, a sort of, I suppose, post-COVID future for the arts and for theatres? Do you think that it's going to be quite bleak <laughs> for the next while? I mean, while? when hasn't it been? <laughs> true. I this am hopeful. True. I am hopeful because I think we have, I just think it's like the amazing people that we know mm. that despite all of it are continuing to make work, are continuing to try and continuing to care and I think that will be when we've kind of got to put the final nail in the coffin is when people stop caring and I don't think that's going to happen I think people get into this because they love it yeah yeah like I think as long as people are creating work when they don't have to and there's no money but they're still just doing it for the love of it then I think there is there is hope for it um and I've been still yeah, I pay think... artists Oh, no, listening, abs- you pay your artists and you pay them well they put it's in so, a lot of labor it's so true we put up with things that we definitely shouldn't and we no. we have come to expect or be you know accept that oh yeah we're not going to get paid and and these sort of like standards um i think our bar for what is acceptable is so low and we were kind of into that in college we had this whole strange thing of oh i haven't eaten today because i'm working so hard and I'm volunteering for this thing. Whereas now I think we're all just like, nah, I'm working. Pay up. I have one friend who's literally my our age saving for a mortgage. Yeah. And and things like that. And like for me, that's like cloud cuckoo land. That's just like that's so unattainable. Because if you were in the arts, that just feels like another mm. world. Um, and I think I'm quite lucky in that part of my passion is the academic side. Yeah. So I'm probably going to end up working partially in that world, partially in the arts world. And so, which are kind of interconnected when like what you're studying is the arts. But it's scary. It's a scary thought because there's so many, there's so many hurdles to leap. But nevertheless, we continue. I've seen recently that they're sort of talking about a universal basic income Mm. for artists. Do you think that... We, I mean, we don't have to get too much into sort of what we, how we will change the world, but um, just because we're talking about it, what do you think that that's a good idea? Do you think that giving artists sort of some sort of basic income so that yeah. they don't sort of have the pressure to work all the time that they can work on their I think their that's art? a good day. I'm trying to think, is it the gap day? That is that project where you get paid to do a day's work and you're given a day's residency? Like that, that whole project has shown us that people who are told you're being paid work work Mm -hmm. you know what I mean because I think there's this strange fear that oh if we give people a basic income they're just going to lounge about and they're not going to do anything and I think that's a bit pessimistic and kind of um dark and sad way to look at the world but we see it with the gap day project people are given this day where they're basically just told do whatever you want and amazing work has come out of it so I think it would be a good way to eliminate fear in the arts because I think a lot of people are very afraid of failing and so don't make the work that they want to make make the work that they think will sell yeah um and I don't know about you but I think sometimes 
I find that my I sort of forget why I write in the first place when I yeah. when I go down that hole I'm like wait what am I doing this for um and I ask myself this question and actually I might pose it to you because it's an interesting question for a writer and I don't have an answer for it but if someone said to you no one can ever read your writing apart from you so say Ooh. it could only ever just sit in a drawer and no one would ever read it um, a bit like Emily Dickinson, except her sister did find all of it in the end. But um, if if they didn't, if no one ever saw it, would you write? Would you, or would you just stop? Um, I think I would, would you... because a lot of the creative writing that I do, mm. I don't show to anybody. Yeah. I have, I think I have two pieces sitting in the Mocktier writer drive that I've shared with you guys and nobody else. And I have other little bits and pieces that I've written over the years that I just keep um even like little poems and things I wrote when I was younger that I've just held on to because it's like Sarah was saying sometimes you like to look back and be like where was my head at at that time mm. you know my academic writing I don't know because I love writing academically as you know I'm a big old nerd yeah yeah yeah, yeah. but that See, I'm fine. I'm really excited when I'm writing an essay and I feel like the point I'm making is a good one. But my academic writing, I think of more as a. What can I do to shift this or how do I view this as a problem and highlighting problems in many ways, which sounds really cynical. Um, but also, you know, highlighting good things and being like this person did hybridity really well. Um, yeah. but I think for that I need somebody else to be looking at it I think I wouldn't write it just for myself because if it were just for myself I'd be reading other writers yeah okay yeah 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 and I think academic writing often has it's you're trying to like add a particular perspective into the discussion, yeah. into into a kind of yeah the wider discussion the wider academic discussion whereas yeah, pers- I think creative writing as is well, a personal. In creative writing, I do write very personal stuff. Yeah. And I always have had it semi based in my own experiences. Partially because I feel, who am I to try and figure out how somebody else feels sometimes? <laughs> Maybe that's why devising suits me better because I'm like, tell me how you all feel. That's but, interesting. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So you don't feel the sort of that you could. Because a lot of writers, obviously, there's that, you know, big cliche of writing what you know. And then there's that sort of debate of whether a writer can adopt different kind of personas and personalities. You're excellent at that. You're good at stepping into other people's shoes, oh, as you'll all see next you. week. Join us next week. But, but no, we are, yeah. but yeah, so you know, there's that kind of like that some writers are very good at stepping into sort of mm. different characters and creating a character that really isn't them. And then some just and one isn't better or worse than the other but isn't it's very much they write from their own experiences and they sort of I think I'm better if I write from my own experiences because I've done bits and pieces of plays I think you've also read them where it's Mm. like or heard them in class where I was trying to do the more kind of traditional play format but I don't think that that suits me even even writing for this long form writing creatively I find very difficult because I'm interested in like snapshots yeah and that's again devising for me is where the longevity comes in because it's new every day and with 
traditional like sitting down I'm writing into a void I like snapshots I like small little moments that make me think or make me feel something and then I want to move on to the next one it's okay, like Kaya yeah. told me once in one of our calls she was like you need to write like a coffee book of little like three minute pieces that <laughs> they can read when they're sitting at having a coffee at their in their living room yeah so that's yeah. the kind of thing I'm interested in. I love little like snapshots and I love from other people longer form but from myself I'm like I am interested in this specific moment where I had this feeling and then I want to move on to something else and Rupi I mean what the writer that comes to, Gara, to mind yeah. is Rupi Gara um for that but I can definitely see that the piece then of this week ordinary I can definitely see that amongst a, a wider collection like kind of these shorts because it's quite a short piece mm. um but like shorts you know yeah, as you say like snapshots like windows because even this first moment. section the spring section yeah is specifically written from my memory of right walking down the little path from the place I was living to the bus and I got grey coat it's in my wardrobe now that holds no heat but it looks really like lovely <laughs> and that that it's we all very much of memory because memory is also interesting to me because how accurate is any memory but yeah I didn't I because I initially felt I needed to make it longer because I was like, oh, everybody's submitting these really long pieces. But every time I sat mm-hmm. down to do it, I was like, it just, I don't think it needs to be longer. No, I think Eventually you, I resigned you, myself to that. <laughs> you really wonderfully capture um, the city and you capture the sort of the, the pace of, and, the, and you capture the pace in very short amount of, of time and space. You just, you capture it really, really well. Um, and I think it also, again, to bring in, sort of other writers there's a sort of um Joyce element of, of it as well in the fact of that you sort of do capture the sort of the hum of Dublin the rhythm of Dublin and it couldn't be anywhere else I think the references to the sort of the Lewis and, the and George the, of, <laughs> the George and and that is the sort of that is the ritual and that is the sort of mm. um the ebb and flow of the city and I think that's something that really comes across and you can tell that you've spent yeah. a lot of time just observing Dublin and, I love Dublin. and how, I it, how Dublin. it moves. I don't yeah, know if I'll ever live in Dublin that. again, but I miss Dublin. Mm. I got that from the piece. There's a really intimate understanding of it, I think, as a city. You, you An intimate that. understanding specifically of Dundrum to Dame Street <laughs> and then yeah. Dame Street to the Artane roundabout. And that's it. Like, I don't know Dublin nearly as well as a lot of people. I have an awful sense of direction. I got lost off Dame Street in my third year of college like on my way to calf like <laughs> okay okay that's... i was supposed to be meeting a friend from college and i got that's literally two minutes walk <laughs> yeah. that's... but i think everyone's the same like they say okay i know yeah i'm from dublin or i'm from cork or whatever but really they know their their commute and they know mm-hmm. their 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 routine and they don't you don't venture outside of that really i remember thinking oh. that that like the actual Dublin that I know, same as you, is probably just like a kilometre square. And that's it, like yeah. less than that. It's tiny. Locked um, up the fortress as we were before you. Yeah, it was just like into Trinity. Then I kind of knew Trinity very well. There are parts um, of that college campus I did not know at all. This is even, even that's true, actually. And that was take me a to small the, area. Take me to the science end and I was like, I was like a tourist. Mm. <laughs> I was like, Never knew what was going on down there. Hamilton people were afraid of us, I think, when we used to do bake sales because we'd be so aggressive. 
I think we slowly stopped. Like we were like, okay, it's not working. I used to love <laughs> Hamilton Bake Sales, but by final year, I was like, nah. No, no, no. I better things to do. Um, one last question um, is: You're a big reader, I, and as a, I find, and I'm sure you do too, as everyone does, that reading influences and helps writing and there's sort of like they coexist and the more that I think the more that you read the more that you write sort of thing but who what writers have sort of I suppose influenced you or inspired you or do you sort of always come back to talking playwrights or are we talking I know just like playwrights novelists Mm. poets at the minute I'm doing a lot of rereading um Mm. because I find it comforting yeah. when I don't have to worry about outcomes when I reread something um and when I was in England I was reading Jane Austen oh nice I'd what had I just finished I'd finished Mansfield Park which I hate I don't like Mansfield Park I love Pride and Prejudice I just finished Pride and Prejudice yeah, Pride and Prejudice and Emma I just love them because they're such they're such small stories but they say a lot like if you read um Persuasion persuasion is such a political book but it's not it's a love story but you're kind of reading it realizing oh this is about classism this is about her family not accepting this guy because he isn't quite of the right class it's not even that he's totally removed from their class it's that they have this notion of who's acceptable do you think though there's run one writer that if you were to name a writer that has inspired your writing who would it be who do you think if there's one style that do you ever try and emulate a writer or a style i think the only writer that i've ever consciously been like oh they're amazing and i'd love to read like them is i'd love to write like them is marina Mm. carr as a playwright because Mm. i really enjoy her plays and i seen her speak a few times um with you and you can yeah. nudge me every time she mentioned growing up in the countryside yeah. um, who else i'm really inspired by my friends writing more so uh, than i am by established authors because i'm kind of i feel removed from them a lot of the time yeah whereas okay. with my friends when i saw um outlier oh yeah there was a play that uh, i wrote for yes Marcus wrote this play, Outlier. Um, it's also been published. So go check yes, that out, everybody. You can buy um, it. <laughs> I remember seeing that and just being like, this is phenomenal. And this was written by my friend. And feeling, I do feel, I'm I'm drawn by the different things that all of us have read. Like all of us that are, we've read by each other and that we yeah. presented to each other in classes. Like, and the different voices, I became very aware of, we all have a very different voice and you have to, you're, it's your job to find yours, I guess. Mm. Yeah, I think it's a huge part of the writing journey and I'm going to hopefully do a, a master's in writing, but I think what I think the most important thing is finding your voice and trusting yeah. that and find like, I'm not trying to be someone else's voice and not trying to you can, I think you can try on other styles like you would try on an outfit, but mm. you know, ultimately, like this isn't working. This this doesn't work for me. Um, so I think you do. I think through practice, you do find 
the style that works for you so i think that's that's true all right um thank you so much anyway and everyone listening thank you so much for this was really fun this was a lovely chat i was nervous at first but then it felt just like i was chatting to you so i stopped being nervous (laughs) don't be nervous don't be don't yeah this wasn't an actual like interview (laughs) um you're not being graded i've actually never met marcus bates and he's a complete terrifying stranger to me literally (laughs) i've just been harassing maya this whole time we've never met or claimed they were siblings (laughs) long lost siblings um thanks so much for listening and um tune in um next monday for oh it's my piece i was like who is it very Um, exciting published playwright marcus bateson is going to be releasing a piece for your ears well there you go yeah so check that out on monday and have a lovely weekend and yeah we'll see you soon And that's it. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Voice Notes, the new writing podcast. Remember, if you're a budding writer and you want to be featured on a future episode of the show, then send us an email at mactiriotheatre at gmail.com just with a little proposal about your piece and a bio about your work, and we'll get back to you as soon as possible. Thank you so much for tuning in. We'll be back with you on Monday where we'll be featuring a piece by me, which, you know, you can check out whatever. I mean, I hope it's good. Um, So yeah, check that out. Check out any previous episodes of the podcast, like and subscribe or whatever you do. And we're available on all major platforms. So tell your friends, even tell your enemies. We're happy with that too. It's all listeners. All right. Have a lovely rest of your weekend and see you soon, you gorgeous people.